this incredible book, the Bible, and, uh, and to hear you speaking into our lives. And we pray for that now. We ask for it. And uh, Lord, we do so with open hearts and open minds, ready to hear and to receive and even obey what you have spoken. Um, for Lord, we know that in this book and in your, in your voice spoken to us, there is life and there is joy and there is peace. Um, and there is goodness and there is grace. So come now, Lord, and address our lives, each of us, individually and corporately as a church, that we might hear from you. Amen. Well, have you ever longed for God to work really powerfully in your life? Think about that for a minute. Have you ever really just desired deeply that God show up and do some mighty thing in you? You know, there, there are some people who would... Um, probably say, well, it's not really my preoccupation. It's not something I particularly think about very often. I just do my thing. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I, I try to be faithful. But, you know, God working powerfully, I don't know. Um, just not something I dwell on. But then there are, I'm sure, and I know a lot of other people who would say, well, to tell you the truth, truth Chris, I would love it if that happened in my life. I would absolutely love to encounter the reality of God's presence so much so that he worked powerfully, that I could see it. It's like God showing up in my life in a way maybe that he never has before. Yeah, I want that. Bible's full of stories like that, of course. There's, there's Moses standing at the Red Sea, Pharaoh bearing down on the people of God, and God said, raise your hand over the sea, and he did, and the sea parted. Wow powerful action of God simply because of that man's obedience and the, of course the Israelites escaped there's Jesus walking on the water that in itself is a remarkable expression of God's power but there was a man named Peter who said can I do the same can I walk in the water too and he did it wasn't for as long as it might have been but he did and he encountered the reality and the power of God in his life amazing think of all the apostles peter and john and so forth after after pentecost and the church is just forming it was a phenomenal time in the life of the church and these apostles would pray for sick people and they would be healed they would even walk past a, a sick person and their shadow would would cover the sick person and that person would be healed and there they were in the in, in, just doing life but the power of god just showed up and it, it amazed people and it must have amazed them Never wish to be part of such a thing? Do you long for God to show up and, and act powerfully in and through you? Um, the series we're in now, this, this series about being fruitful, you know, and we've defined that from John chapter 15 about accomplishing the things that God wants accomplished in the world. God longs for that to happen in us. He wants it. That's just another way of saying that there are times when God shows up and he acts in such power in our lives that we're left awed amazed, grateful. Does it happen in your experience? You know, does it? Or is it just something that happens and you read about in books about famous people or you read in scripture, but it's somehow foreign to you? You know, I, we're studying John 15, and I want to focus on the word studying. We need to study scripture, and we need to learn it, right? We need to know it deeply. And what I've said before is it sets a, a, a set of conditions for us realities, if you would, that we need to have in place in our lives if, if we are going to be fruitful, if God is going to exercise his power through us. Last week, we talked about the first condition, and that is that, 
to use the words from the message uh, version of the Bible, that we would make our home in Jesus as he has made his home in us. Other translations talk about remaining in him and so forth, but we, 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 we focused on, on, on that uh, version because it captures so well the, the original meaning. The idea that we would go home into Christ time and again, we'd go home into his presence, that we would know his safety and his love and rest in Christ, the grace of Jesus. Over and over and over again, worship service after worship service after worship service, daily in our homes, day after day after day, we would develop this intimate relationship with Christ that would allow us to be in that place where Jesus says the harvest, the fruitfulness, would be abundant. I want to read verse 7 for you from John chapter 15, just to strike home a point. Jesus saying, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know, that's an incredibly easy passage to read and not be struck by. Jesus says, if you remain in me, if you make your home in me as I make my home in you, if you have that close, intimate, personal connection with Jesus, we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. Can you imagine in your life if you lived in such a fashion in relationship with Jesus that you very literally could ask the Lord for what you want and him do it for you time after time after time after time. In other words, because of your praying, the power of God would move through your life to accomplish the things that God wants accomplished in this world. This verse, the words of Jesus, tell you, and I want you to know it, this is a possibility for your life. This can be you. And can you imagine what that would be like? So, so we begin with this foundational reality. By the way, the converse is also true. If we don't remain in Jesus, if we don't make our home in him, if we don't keep going home into his presence and nurturing that intimacy with Christ, we can pray till the cows come home and we're not going to experience anything of the answered prayer that God wishes for us. I'm afraid too many Christians live that way. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I don't bother much with him, except when I'm really in trouble. Then I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, I need you to do this for me. And I pray in Christ's name and nothing happens. Because they're not living in intimate relationship with Christ. You know, do you ever wonder why my prayers don't get answered and sometimes the prayers of other people do? This is a strong possibility. There are other possibilities. But this is one of them. We have to remain in Jesus. We have to make him our home. We have to nurture that intimate relationship with Jesus day after day after day. That's, I'm not going to re-preach last week. Listen to it on the, on the website if you want. But I want to tell you that's foundational. That is so critical. We're going to talk today about a second reality, a second condition. And I'm going to read the last phrase, if you would, or, 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 or a sentence from uh, chapter 5 in John 15. And it says this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we did focus a lot on this last week, right? But they are profound words I want to, I want to dig into further today. Jesus saying, apart from me, apart from my presence and so forth in your life, apart from that intimate connection that you can have with me, you try to do things on your own, the result will be, say it with me, nothing. Zero. Now, last week, what we talked about is doing something about that and getting into the relationship and, and abiding in him and remaining in him and so forth. I want to take a step further this week into a deeper spiritual truth. 
It's like a spiritual secret. Some of you might struggle to get your heads around because it just seems odd, as you'll discover. But I'm suggesting to you here that what Jesus is saying is this. In terms of accomplishing anything for God, we are weak and completely powerless in ourselves to accomplish anything for the Lord. I think that's what Jesus is saying. You know, in terms of getting anything done for God, we are weak and we are completely powerful in our, powerless in ourselves to accomplish anything for the Lord. And I want to tell you, when Jesus was sitting talking to his disciples 2,000 years ago, he wanted to confront them with this reality. He wanted them to face this reality and embrace the reality so that ultimately they could figure out how to be powerful for him in the kingdom of God. And I don't think it's any different today. I think Jesus wants to, to confront us, you, with this fact so that you will accept it and embrace it so that you can be powerful for the kingdom of God. Now what I want to do, and this is a little different, but I want us to jump from John 15. We'll give reference to it, but I want to spend most of our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Famous passage. It's a book which Paul the Apostle wrote. It's a letter to the Corinthian church. In essence, what's happening in, in a good bit of this book is he's defending himself against attacks from people uh, whom he called the super apostles. He mentions them in the previous chapter, chapter 11. They are gifted individuals. They, imp they are impressive orators. And in that day, to be able to speak with eloquence, eloquence was incredibly admired. And they are, in this instance, questioning Paul's legitimacy as an apostle. They're questioning, as an, uh, questioning his authority in the church. And one of the ways that Paul addresses these criticisms is by talking not about his strengths and about uh, his abilities, but, but talking about and embracing his weakness. And, and, and what, he, what he's doing is teaching that, that when he dwells in weakness, when he embraces weakness, when he lives in the reality of weakness rather than strength, it is then that Christ's strength and Christ's power rests on him. So I'm going to read from first, uh, 2 Corinthians, actually, verse 12, um, verses 7 to 9. Prior to these verses, he, he talks about having been caught up into heaven. Now, that's not bad for someone who's claiming to be apostle and claiming legitimacy as an, uh, as an apostle and authority. But after he does that, he says this, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, if you were caught up into heaven and saw what Paul saw, you might become conceited, right? But in order to keep him from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, listen, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Listen, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Did you hear that? Do you understand the significance of that for your life? Christ's power is made perfect. How? When we know weakness, when we live in weakness, when we embrace weakness. And it is then that Christ's power rests on us. I want to tell you, this doesn't make a lot of sense to the human mind. It just doesn't make sense until we dig in and understand. See, this is one of the conditions for fruitfulness. This is one of the conditions that have to be in place in our lives if we are really to experience the power of God in our, our experience. And then verse 10 says this. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. He celebrates it. These guys are condemning him. These super apostles are condemning him because probably because he's blind and he, and he can't see very well and he's not impressive to look at and he's not the order that they are. But he says, you know what, guys? I'm going to celebrate my weakness because, oh, weaknesses, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties, for the, because this, for when I am weak, then I am strong in Jesus. It's a remarkable thing. Strong in him. The power of Christ would rest upon him. See how incredibly beautifully this ties with what we read in John chapter 15 this morning? Apart from G me, Jesus says, you in yourself cannot accomplish anything of spiritual value and impact. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You are weak, essentially, Jesus is saying. You are incapable in the spiritual realm. Only when you are at home in me and I am at home in you, only when there's that relationship that is intimate and organic can the power of God flow because I am present to you. I fill your being with my being via the Holy Spirit. And then the power of God might flow. To that end, in Paul's circumstance, God allowed a thorn in the flesh to come into his experience. He allowed this thing that tormented him to be part of his life. He prayed three times that God would take it away, and God refused to take it away because it led Paul to an awareness of his weakness and an embracing of his weakness. Why? So that the power of God might rest upon his life. And by the way, no, no, we don't reference any letters in the Bible from the super apostles. We reference the letters of the apostle Paul, still powerful today in the hand of God. Now, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for you and for me? Very simply this, we have to accept and embrace and live in the knowledge of our weaknesses and our inabilities. We have to know deeply in our hearts that we cannot accomplish spiritual things in ourselves and by our strength and that it is only when God shows up in power and that he will work through us to accomplish what he wants accomplished in and through us. Now, as I said, this isn't a natural human way to think. We would rather reflect on our abilities and our strengths, right? We would rather, you know, focus on how capable we are. But it's contrary to the reality of the kingdom of God. Let me use preaching again to illustrate what I'm talking about. And it's not because I know you're all going to become preachers and that you do this very often, but you are the recipients of preaching. And I think we could all agree that the whole purpose of this exercise, or I hope we can, is that you come into the presence of God and we worship God through songs and, and, and giving and so much else. But there comes a time when someone like me stands before you and opens up the Word of God and, and the, the intention is that the truth of the Word of God would penetrate, as it says in Hebrews, to the heart, separating bone and marrow, getting right down to the core of our being, truth penetrating our being, so much so that our minds are changed and our, our will is, is altered, and, and we become like Jesus. Something incredibly miraculous is intended to happen every single Sunday during this time when God works, when God shows up, and when God changes you. Now, I could stand here like the super apostles and think, man, am I gifted. You know, I've got some real abilities and I've got some real strength and because of my capacity, I'm going to stand up, he up here this Sunday morning and I'm going to preach with eloquence and you are all going to be changed because of me. 
I want to tell you, my friends, if I seek to do this thing which I'm doing right now with that mentality, I will produce nothing for the kingdom of God. You will not be changed. Your, your hearts won't be changed. Your minds won't be changed. Your eyes won't be open to see the reality of the gospel and the beauty of Christ and the awesome nature of God. Because I think I have the capacity to make the difference. But conversely, if I am convinced to my core that I can't accomplish what God wants accomplished in your life, then Christ's power will rest on me, and he, Christ, will work through me in terms of what I say, and you will be changed. And that's why I sit over here or, 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 or stand, depending on the circumstance, every single Sunday, and I say, Lord Jesus, I know I can't accomplish what you want accomplished in these people. I know it's beyond my capacity, but I pray that you will do what I know I cannot do. I pray that you will show up and by your work in the lives of these people, you will take the words that I speak and bring them to life and you will transform them into your image. And if there's ever been a time when you have sensed that you're hearing from God and you're encountering him in this place through my speaking or anyone speaking, it's because someone up here recognizes not their strengths, but their weaknesses, not their abilities, but their inabilities. Because it's only the Lord himself who can do what needs done here. This has huge relevance in, in many areas of life. Ever had a rebellious child? The temptation is this, oh, I can fix that. Here's what I'm going to do, you know? Confident in my ability as a parent, I'm gonna speak some sense into that child and everything is going to get fixed. Yeah. Some of you are smiling. You see what happens from God's perspective in the realm of the kingdom of God, the movement of the spirit in that child's life? Nothing will happen because apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. No heart change, no softening of the heart, no turning back to God, nothing. But if we say, Lord Jesus, I know I can't make a difference here because I cannot change a person's mind and I cannot change a person's heart. I can't do it, but I know you can. And if in that instance we step back and we say, Lord Jesus, please do what I'm incapable of, I want to tell you the Lord Jesus will show up in power and he will do what only he can do. You see how these examples give reference to what Jesus says in John 15? If you remain in me and my word remains in you, and you ask whatever you wish and it will be granted to you, it will be done for you. You get that? We step back, admitting our weakness, admitting our inability. We say, Lord Jesus, you do what only you can do. And he does. Remarkable, beautiful things. You know, how about having a problem at work? Any, anybody ever have a problem at work? You know, if you're an employer, you know, you have staff. And there are always problems, personnel problems, right? People not getting along and difficulties and challenges. You know, sometimes you, you're, you're the employee and the problem's the boss. It's not me, it's the boss. And sometimes people have pretty difficult employers. Sometimes, again, if it's your own business, you have financial problems or re even legal problems. What do you do with them? Literally. A lot of people don't bring Jesus in. They say, well, that's my job and I'm going to take care of it and I've got the capacity and the ability and here's what I'm going to do and I'm going to run after it until this problem is solved. 
There's another way being presented to us here, and it's very simply this. Even at work, one of many places where this principle plays itself out, you come into the presence of Christ and you say, Lord Jesus, I can't fix this. I'm not able to, but I know you can. And I pray that you will enter into this scenario and that you will do what I'm incapable of doing. My friends, when we do that, when we pray in, in such a fashion, when we are in intimate relationship with Jesus, the Lord Jesus shows up and the power of God is exercised in and through us in remarkable and beautiful ways. Ever been in a relationship that uh, has gone south and you've tried and tried and tried in your power to make things right? Did you hear that? In your power to make things right, but you can't? You're not capable of it and you finally come to a place where you say, Lord Jesus, this marriage that's struggling you know, with all the hurts and the brokenness and the woundedness and the mistakes. that God, I've tried in my, in my abilities to fix this, but I can't do it. I, I'm convinced. But I pray that you will. I pray that you will come in your power and I pray that you will do what only you can do. You see, when we get ourselves out of the way and we put Jesus central and we ask him to do what he's capable of doing, then all of a sudden the power of Christ rests on us and things change. Somehow, according to his will. You know, what about addiction? I know I reference addiction lots because you know what? A lot of people are addicted. And it's highly likely there are people, not just one, but people in this church who are struggling with addictions. It's just reality in our world. And, you know, very often in this process of coming to recognize addictions, people will say something like, you know, I'm not addicted. I can handle this. I'm capable. I have the strength in, my, in myself to say no to the booze or the, the drugs or the pornography or the, you know, you, you fill in the blank. Food addictions. But the only, you know, the reality is that, that if people think that they have the power in themselves to overcome the power of sin and the power of the flesh, as the Bible describes it, they're completely deluded. Because the reality is that the power of sin and the power of the flesh is way greater than our own capacity and our own power to overcome it. But as AA has discovered and as Celebrate Recovery has discovered and as I hope many of you have discovered, if we will come to a place where we recognize our inability and we recognize and acknowledge our weakness and we actually embrace our weakness, it is then that the Lord Jesus shows up in power to enable us to do what we cannot do in our own. You see, our hope is never in ourselves as followers of Jesus. We are not the Savior. We are not the Messiah. <laughs> Jesus is. And it is He who has the capacity within us to accomplish what we are incapable of accomplishing. And the secret to unleashing the power of God in our lives in so many ways is very simply to come to that place in life where we recognize our inability, our weakness, and say, Lord Jesus, I can't, so I pray that you will. And that's why, what's the gospel? I can't save myself. I can't get myself in right relationship with God. You know, a lot of people try, oh, if, I, if I'm good and if I live a good life and if I do the right things, God's going to like me and accept me and, and welcome me into heaven. And the Bible nowhere says that is true. Nowhere. What do we do? We come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I can't live a life like that. I'm incapable. I'm weak. I sin. 
And as a result, what I need is the grace of Christ in my life, and I pray you will forgive me for my sin. And all of a sudden, God says, yes, and he, he makes us his children. And, and he showers grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. And we are his for an eternity. Why? Not because of our ability, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Chris, you might be saying this is a long way from fruitfulness. <laughs> well, let me go back there for a little while. I think there are three groups of people who, let's say, consider themselves servants, if you would. There is one group of people who actually understand this deep spiritual principle and live according to it. There's a group of people who recognize the reality of their weakness and live in it, acknowledge it, embrace it, and even celebrate it like the Apostle Paul. And they live in this dynamic reality with Jesus where they are confidently and often and regularly saying, Lord Jesus, I can't, so I'm going to step back and I'm going to invite you in so that you will. And the power of Christ rests upon their lives. And I bet you most of you know at least someone like that. It's another group of people, believers, people who believe in Jesus and, 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 and they're seeking to serve him in their lives and, and, and they love him and, you know, they, they're doing the, the Christian thing. But this group of people, while they're serving, whether it's in the church or in the community, whether it's in their neighborhoods or in their places of work or their schools, this group of people literally think that they are capable of accomplishing things for God on their own. And they serve and they expend energy and they do their thing, eager to make a difference for God, but the result of everything they do is nothing because they're confident in their own abilities. A great illustration of this is the Israelites uh, way, way back, and they have been freed from slavery, and they've become a nation, or they are becoming a nation, and uh, they're, they're ready to conquer the promised land, and they formed an army because, of course, they have to fight and, and, and succeed in battle in that day. And um, God has given them the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the place of the presence of God. The presence and the power of God was symbolized in this thing. So they would, they would take the Ark of the Covenant into, into battle, and they won battle after battle after battle after battle. And they all thought, oh, this is fabulous. This is great. Look at us. One day, uh, they went into, into battle without the Ark of the Covenant. And they were badly defeated. And they went into the battle without the Ark of the Covenant because they thought it was their ability which had produced victories in the past when in fact it was the presence and the power of God working among them which had given them victory previously. My friends, we need the presence and the power of God to enable us to do powerful things for God's kingdom. And that brings us right back to John 15. Because if we're not living, at, if we're not going uh, back to Jesus day after day after day, if we're not making our home in him, if we're not remaining in him, if we're not nurturing that relationship of, of intimacy with him, his presence and his power won't be in us in the way that we need him to. We need it to. See, my friends, what, you know, it's possible to be serving and to be serving with the right desire and the right heart, but until we embrace our weakness, until we embrace our inability, the power of God will not rest upon us. 
And, and the work of the kingdom will not be done in a significant way. Well, there's another group of people. Um, and these are people who don't serve. Again, Christian people, people who love God and you know, so forth. But they don't serve because they don't think they are able to be effective. And take a minute and think about that in light of everything I've just spoken. These people choose not to serve because they don't think that they are capable of making a difference for God. You know, it reminds me of, uh, of Gideon. You know, last week, uh, Carl Santos, our new EP, executive pastor here, filled in for me because I was really sick the week before. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, but Carl talked about uh, judges and, and, and Samson in particular. Gideon was one of these judges. He, 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 he was one of these guys who was no hero. You know, he was a weak guy. He was hiding from the Midianites as that army approached, you know, afraid. But God chose him to do mighty things. God said to him, you mighty warrior. What Gideon then went on to do when he finally said yes to God was raise an army of 32,000 soldiers. What else would you do when you're facing this huge army approaching ready to take over your land and to defeat you? God came along in Judges chapter 7, verse 2 and said this. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Think about that for a minute. Huge army headed your way. Gideon's raised 32,000 men to fight this, this battle. And God comes along and says, oh, no, 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 no. Too many guys. Too many guys. He says this, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they would say. You know what I love about that? God says, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. I can't do it. I can't exercise my power to accomplish something incredible with so many soldiers. So he said, anybody who's afraid, send them home. Anybody know how many soldiers went home that day? 22,000. I probably would have been one of them. If you don't have to fight the Midianites, why would I be here? I'm going home. I'm left with about 10,000 soldiers. Still a substantial number of soldiers, you know, so we can still take these Midianites on. Maybe not with the confidence that, that, that we had before, but, you know, let the battle begin. God comes along uh, after the 22,000 go, go, go home and says this, Judges 7, verse 7. The Lord said to Gideon, oh, by the way, let me say this just first of all. God said to them, send them all down to get a drink of water, and the people who lap the water with their hands, hold on to them. They're the ones who are going to fight for me. So the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home. 10,000 men went home. And here's Gideon, you know, the guy who used to be hiding from the Midianites because he's afraid of them, left with 300 soldiers. But note again what God says. With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. I will show up in power and give the Midianites into your hands. This seems like craziness, doesn't it? This doesn't seem to make sense from a human perspective. But the reality is this, my friends. It is in weakness that God works most powerfully. And if you know the story, 300 soldiers routed an army of thousands. Go home and read it if you want this afternoon. 
Judges chapter 7 and following. You see the principle that's being played out here? You see the, the spiritual dynamic that we have to enter into if we're going to see God's power rest on us so that we can accomplish things that are remarkable for God and God's kingdom? See, my friends, this is the principle. Success and effectiveness in the kingdom of God, whether it's here or whether it's in the community and neighborhoods in which you live and workplaces and schools where you go to school, success and effectiveness in the kingdom of God is never achieved through human strength. Only through human weakness and God's strength. When we are weak, then Christ's strength rests on us. I can't finish this talk this morning without pointing you to the primary example in the Bible of this dynamic. It's the day Jesus Christ was crucified and he was hanging on a cross and he was dying and he ultimately died. He died in utter human weakness. But on that day, the power of God was released into this world as never before and will never happen again. A power that changed the world and has changed and transformed the lives of thousands of people, including many of you sitting here today. See, what we have in the end is, as we talk about these various groups of people, we have at least two groups of people, and it's not quite jiving with the intention of God because on the one hand, we have people who are serving out of their own strength and think they can do great things for God, and nothing's happening in spite of all the time and all the energy. Nothing's happening at a deeper spiritual level. And on the other hand, we've got a bunch of people who aren't serving because they know their weakness and they think they're incapable of accomplishing anything significant for God. But they are the people who have the greatest potential for the power of God to surge through their being into the lives of others and into this world. So on the one hand, we need the, the, the self-confident to sit back and start exercising this and saying, Lord Jesus, I can teach children's ministry and I can do youth ministry and I can lead the band and I can do all the things which we do. There are 101 things which we do. But in the end of the day, I can't accomplish what we long to be accomplished in seeing this world transformed in the name of Jesus. So I step back and I pray that you will take over and that you will accomplish in and through my efforts for you. And then we stand back and we watch God work. And to those of you who aren't serving because you don't think you can, oh boy, pick up the challenge. It's because you can't that Jesus will. It's because that you are weak that the power will flow in and through your life. And on the end of the day, this is the deal. This is the reality. God wants to use you in powerful ways to bring his kingdom to this earth. He wants to use you in whatever way he chooses to fulfill our vision, just to put it in familiar terms. He wants to use you to see people connected to Jesus, to go from darkness to light, from, from death to life. And it's not because you're capable and you're particularly you know, strong that that will happen. It's because you admit your weakness, but you say, Lord Jesus, here's my friend and here's my family, and I've tried everything in my power, but I'm just going to step back and I'm going to invite you in so that you can do what only you can do. And some of you might get called to seeing faith deepened in significant ways. People who have come to Christ grow deep in the faith because of your giftedness. But it'll only happen when you say, Lord, I can't accomplish that. I can't reveal your truth to these people. I can't help them grow deep in faith. Only you can do that. But I pray that you will as I recognize my weakness. God, step in. Jesus, step in and accomplish great things. And then connect people to Jesus, deepen the faith, and then change the world. <laughs> 
the whole world out there, God wants made right. He wants the poor cared for and the hungry fed. He wants justice and righteousness to reign in this world. And he charges his church with the challenge of making it happen. It's only when we come to that place of utter weakness and recognizing that we cannot accomplish on our own that you know what? Then Jesus' power will rest on you and me. And God will do mighty things. Mighty things just like he did in the life of Gideon. So I guess in the end of the day, I'm here to ask you, is this something that you want? I started that way, didn't I? Do you want to experience the power of God? Do you want to be a Moses who raises his hand in water? Separates. Do you want to be a, a Jesus who walked in water and invited Peter to join him? You want that to be you? Do you want to be in, like the apostles who just touched people or cast their shadow over them and the healing power of God just reached in and touched the lives of broken people and raised them up to healing? Do you want to experience the power of God flowing through you to accomplish significant and remarkable and beautiful things for the cause of Jesus? I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of Scripture that we've addressed today, that that can be you. Don't ever let anybody tell you that it's not so. That can be you. If you're willing, number one, to remain in Him, make your home in Him. Daily nurture that intimate relationship with Jesus. That's foundational. Number two, embrace your weakness. Just accept it. And invite Christ to do what you know you cannot. Let's pray. Lord, this uh, teaching doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to us, honestly. Until your spirit works and you open our minds and our understanding to get it. And Lord, that's our prayer today, that our minds and our understandings have been opened and they would continue to be open to this deep spiritual truth, which suggests our utter weakness to accomplish for you but provides to us this incredible opportunity as we admit our weakness and as we embrace it to then say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life to work through me to accomplish in the lives of other people what I can't accomplish in their lives. God, I think of this army of people to use the Gideon illustration, this group of people here through which you could route the Midianite army, through which you could accomplish incredible victory in this world for the cause of Jesus. Not because of our abilities and not because of our strengths, but because, Lord, we are weak and we know it. And we simply pray, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come and work in me in these specific ways to do what I cannot do. Lord, I pray that you turn us into an army of people who understand what it means to have the power of Christ rest upon us so that mighty acts of God will be done in this world. Lord, humble us and teach us and remind us day after day after day that it's when we are operating in your strength, not our own, that great things happen for God. So God, I pray you'll use this people gathered here today that you will cause them to embrace weakness and in so doing turn them into mighty warriors for the kingdom 
for the sake of the cause of Christ. And this we pray together in Jesus' name.